DJ's Bell Podcast, everybody, come on. Woo! Here we go. Wherever you are in the world, I'd like to say a massive thank you once again for listening. Think about it now, the millions of podcasts to choose from. So it's a genuine honor to have your company once again. I say once again, you might be tuning in for the first time. If you like the positive and inspirational vibe that we bring, don't forget you can catch up with any of the episodes anytime on Apple or Spotify. I've had the good fortune to talk health, fitness, and how to keep, and more importantly, how to preserve a positive mindset with some truly inspirational people over my podcast series. These include people like Paul McKenna, Katie Piper, Lorraine Kelly, Chris Moores, Beverly Knight, Tommy Mallet. It goes on and on and on. So if you're looking for something that is religion and politics free and is designed primarily to educate, lift and inspire, then you've come to the right place. Now, talking to people who can most certainly lift and inspire you, my guest today is one of the most down-to-earth and genuine people I know. He's a singer, he's a songwriter, he's a coach, television presenter, model, voice actor, Instagram king, and a pretty mean footballer to boot. He's also a triple platinum album seller, a triple platinum album seller. And although he's been singing all his life, it's only in the last few years that he's really found the voice bit of a clue there. That's right. Uh, he's the man with the X Factor, undisputed. Yes, I can, of course, only be talking about the second most famous myrrh since Golden Frankincense. It is, of course, it's Ollie Murs, everybody. <laughs> it's Ollie Murs. Hello, Ollie. You know why? It's great to talk to you, Jason, but the fact that you called me a model, I mean, that is, I'll take that. I'll take listen, that. Listen, I so appreciate you being on. I thought I've got to big you up from the start. <laughs> no, do you know what I mean? I just thought otherwise it could all go a little bit wrong because I know I called you the Instagram king, which I'll come on to hopefully in this because you genuinely really are. I mean, it's unbelievable. I follow your Instagram. I think it's absolutely fantastic. Thank you. This morning, the morning of recording this, just to give people perspective on some point when they're listening to this because they might be listening to it when it first comes out or later on. Uh, we're recording this. I happen to be in Spain while I'm recording this. Ollie, of course, back in the UK. We're both on lockdown. It's during the lockdown series. So Ollie's been obviously lockdown like most people and obviously on Instagram um, but this morning on his Instagram and I knew we had a podcast to record and I saw your post Ollie say today I don't feel like doing anything I just want to stay in bed. <laughs> well, I, I'm, very, I'm very glad that, that you say that about my Instagram because you know I find social media really difficult at times I don't know just what to say or what not to say or you know because you get judged so quickly on it so I just try and make sure that it's as positive and as fun as possible for people that might be having a bad day that you know when they click on my social media page that there's some laughter or something fun for them to see because you know we all have in our difficult moments and you know I've had many difficult moments myself so I have people that I follow for inspiration and positivity and weirdly enough over the last year you've been one of them people actually Jason that I followed and, and enjoy your positivity. And I think it's nice that, you know, there's a good balance on social media. So I just try and be one of them people. So it's nice when people like yourself say that about me. Honestly, and I know so many people that have genuinely been actually new to your Instagram as well during lockdown. Mm. And based on the fact that not only is it incredibly well put together, I remember when you came on the retreat and I remember you being in the car on the way back after being on the retreat. <laughs> and, and one of the things that I remember, no, no, that no, wasn't being sarcastic. I mean, you recorded a video while on the transfer that I would take three weeks to try and edit and put together. And it was brilliant. And your videos have just got better and better and better. I remember you saying, like, you know, I want you to come to the Juice Retreat. I don't want you to be doing any social media. You're here to enjoy the experience and you're here to just, you know, relax and, and juice and just enjoy the surroundings. And, and I was like, yeah, cool. I really appreciate it that you don't want to use me for that, which is fine. But 
I'll be honest with you, Jason, I genuinely, I, I do a lot of different things for people. And I thought it was very refreshing that you said that. But also at the end of it, I just felt like I have to show my fans, I have to show my family and friends, I have to show everyone how amazing this place is. And that is not me reading this off a script, by the way, for anyone that's listening. Genuinely, I did that video and I put time and effort in again, like I do on every Instagram post that I do or anything that I edit, is just to show people how amazing things are in the world. There's some amazing places to go. And that retreat really helped me this year. Like, I can't tell you how amazing it was. And I'm sure you hear this all the time. And I don't want to give you a big enough head because it's huge as it is. <laughs> but genuinely, it was one of the best experiences of my life. Just to tell people the story. So we'd obviously got to the juice trip, me and Amelia. Jason was amazing. You know, greeted me when I arrived and took us to our room and, you know, really sort of, you know, not sold the dream, but told us what it was all about and how it was going to work. And, you know, when you first get there, I, my, my first thought was like, how am I actually going to spend seven days in this retreat? One, it looks amazing. But how am I going to go seven days without eating anything, you know? And, and that's a really interesting thing that I spoke to a lot of my friends about. And that's the first thing they asked me. I'm sure they ask you and, and lots of other people about that same thing. What? Oh, my God, you couldn't eat for seven days. Uh, yeah, I mean, it really wasn't that hard. But first, I questioned myself, could I do it? But you know what? And my manager and my friends and everyone that knows me that when I came back from the trip, obviously, you know, my results were amazing. But it wasn't that hard. And actually, the retreat itself made it very, very easy. It's harder at home. It's yeah, harder. Much, much harder at home. It was yeah, much yeah. harder for me when I got home and I did it here and I was working and I was at The Voice and I was still trying to juice and it was really hard at home because the temptations were there and what I loved about the retreat was that you know we had our salad on the first day of arrival and that was it and then you just you just you, you, you just flush and you detox for a whole week <laughs> no you do you get your salad and we obviously we was lucky we did it in the winter period and by the way for everyone listening that's the best time to go do not go in the summer well, they've got go. no chance of going this summer. It's closed during lockdown. Of course. But, <laughs> <laughs> but if you're going to go, look, look between January and April because you get, the, you get the soup. The soup's amazing, by the way. That really helped me. But no, no, I want to tell the story about we. So we get there, we meet everyone. Everyone sort of doesn't really say, we'll all say hello and we'll, you know, everyone's in their own little circles. And you start chatting to people because you want to start learning about where people are from and why they're here and what their reasons are. And everyone's got a different reason. And... No one had obviously at this point, and I don't expect people to know who I am all the time, and I don't expect people to ever say anything. You know, sometimes you get sarcastic comments, sometimes you get someone that goes, Oh, you look familiar, who are you? And you know, you get that sort of stupid stuff. But everyone was really respectful, never really said anything. And so we get to our first session, which uh, you call the introduction, you introduce everyone. And at this point, I'm thinking, knowing you already as I do the first 24 hours, I'm thinking he's gonna say something. You do the massive introduction chat. You don't say anything. And I'm thinking, oh, God, it is like the elephant in the room. <laughs> and then we get on the trampolines. And obviously, if you've ever been to the Juice Retreat, that's this amazing workout on the trampolines, which I've never done before in my life. But I tell you what, I can't wait to come back to do it again because it was so much fun. And your energy, Jason, was phenomenal. I'm not criticizing the other trainers, but... No, they're rubbish. Oh, they're rubbish. Just a whole, no, 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 you know, they are. Oh, they're absolutely they, rubbish. You, <laughs> <laughs> no, but you are just on a whole no another level. And I was... For very grateful you was there for that week. But you plan all these songs and I was so in the workout and then you just <laughs> dropped Dance With Me Tonight about halfway through 
and you introduce us. This is the, one of the greatest songs of all time. And you were just selling this song like it was a Beatles song or a Queen song or a Michael Jackson song. And then you came into my song and it was just hilarious. And everyone laughed. And obviously then you made a joke about me. And, and it was nice. It was really... It really got the elephant out of the room because everybody, everybody knew you were there and stuff. And a couple of surreal moments was that. Obviously, you were bouncing on a trampoline to your own song at the retreat. I felt... You know, Napoleon Hill stuff. It's just that like, I can't imagine that when I left school at 15. And I mean, it's just incredible. I thought Ollie's here doing that. But moreover, people pay fortunes to have you sing. We have a cryogenic chamber at the, uh, at the <laughs> retreat. And, and it's where you get frozen by about minus 170. Of course, Ollie's very competitive. So, you know, the colder I had it, the colder he must have it. And, you know, even if it was going to kill him. And, um, and but in order to get me through, because it was so cold, I was I was in competition mode as well. So I just wanted, I was going to beat. Yeah, you know, what was really good about it was actually the reason that we were singing. It was because you know when you are cryo chamber, which by the way I fully recommend, and we were doing it twice a day. And you know I'm sure Jason has spoke many times on podcasts or on on his social media about the benefits of it and what it does to your metabolism and and also what it does for your mindset and. And it gives you such an energy boost and it's good for your skin. It's good for arthritis. It's good for everything. And we just used to just sing. Just not we. Up. I didn't sing. I, let's be no, honest. No, no, you didn't sing, but I was just singing to get through the two minutes or three minutes of, but of I was getting a tw- I was getting a 12 minute concert a day. A private- <laughs> no, listen, for those of you listening that are massive Ollie Murs fans, you can only imagine I'm in a tiny room with Ollie. He's being frozen half there. No, 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 you're, surreal. You're missing the key points. We're in a tiny room naked with our <laughs> <laughs> wearing wearing gloves and and wellies and boots like, we're, we're like wearing boots. boots boots and gloves having only just met and ollie's <laughs> saying name a song and i'll sing it for you and i was like is this actually happening i remember yeah. a couple of times going this isn't happening i remember calling you know, Kate- what but, you know listen i just want to say like there's so, so many stories i could talk i could sit and talk hours about it but just wanted to say like the retreat itself was fantastic and it kept my mind occupied it kept me busy the walks the people, the energy, your energy, the games, tasks, and every yeah, everything we got to do on the trip. You know, I can't speak highly enough of it. And, and I've told many people close to me just how incredible it was. The reason I did that video is because I just wanted, I didn't know what else to do. I didn't know how else to say thank you. I know you'll say, oh, don't be stupid. But I just felt doing that video was a great way of showing my fans. And the reaction was just phenomenal. And you know, it, 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 was un- it was it was un- it was unbelievable the reaction, and I couldn't appreciate you doing it more. And that led me to then obviously just pay a little bit more attention. I was really paying attention to your Instagram, but it's just improved and improved and improved. <laughs> and it really, and it's funny because you talk about social media about having to be careful. And I remember at one point during lockdown, and I understand why you would have felt the need, but actually, you know, I did comment on it where you were saying, "Look, some people have commented about a couple of my posts." They were hilarious, right? It's jokes, it's banter, particularly with your girlfriend. It was just hilarious. And of course, you felt some people were saying that's a bit inappropriate, that's this, that, and the other. And I did point out at the time saying offense cannot be given, it can only be taken. It's not your choice, Ollie, if somebody takes offense or not. It's a personal decision of theirs. It's not down to you. It's a a personal choice. Yeah, and I never did any of my pranks or any of the videos that I post. You know, I really think about what I'm doing and I never, ever expected any of my videos that I post. You know, listen, I take full responsibility. If obviously, like I said in my post and stuff that I posted on Twitter and all the other sites that I apologize to anyone that is ever offended by anything I post, but it's never intentional to hurt anyone's feelings or I just did it just to have a laugh with me and my girlfriend. So, 
yeah, you know, it does it does hurt you when you feel like you've upset someone. I'm one of them people that I'm so ultra sensitive that yeah. if I feel that just one second that someone's upset by something I've done, it really affects my day. It affects me because I mean, I I had this thing when I came off X Factor in 2010 and. It sounds ridiculous, but I felt that the country hated me because they didn't vote for me to win. And it sounds ridiculous, but I lost. I lost in the final and I was so devastated. Wow. And I, I didn't know how to cope with it. And I remember speaking to my manager, Harry, at the time. And Harry basically said, you can't please everyone. And not everyone is going to like you, Ollie. You've got to accept that. You can't be the nice guy. You are the nice guy and we love you and you're amazing. But... You're not going to please everyone. You need to learn that very quickly, especially in the music industry or in the showbiz world, that there is going to be a lot of people that won't like you. There's going to be a lot of people that are going to say nasty things about you. You just need to stay true to yourself and who you are. You know. And- well, that was a good piece of advice. I mean, obviously, it's a great piece of advice, but as you've already alluded to, it is easier said than done, isn't it? And like you said, yeah. it can be, and I think one of the, the downfalls of being such a nice person, and I know it sounds like, you know, I mean, honestly, I've met a lot of people in this industry. Was, I've said to you privately, and I genuinely mean it. It's very, very rare. You, you always reply to message. You always get back. And if you don't, then you say, oh, sorry, I haven't got all these things that you would never expect somebody in your position to ever. You've remained Ollie Merch. You just remained yourself. And the challenge with that, and here's the downfall of caring is that when you care, the problem, some people don't care, have the best night's sleep in the world when you do care about people. And it can be a downside because especially if you're on social media and you have millions of followers as you do, there's bound to be the odd jealous egg that starts posting some, and it could be an old school friend that just still has resentment for you, Oz, you know, yeah, because you've been successful. And I, yeah, I mean, social media, I have my, like everyone, I think I have my good days with it. I see so many positive comments. You know, every single day it's full of love and a lot of people that are very nice to me, you know, and then there's the negativity, which again, we have to, sometimes in, in life, you have to accept that, you know, with any success, yeah, there is going to be absolutely. I just, I mean, yeah, and I'm sure, and I'm sure you could probably sit here with the career you've had with, with the juice retreat. There's going to be many people that will be positive about it. And there'll be a lot of people that are negative about people it. People negative. Hang on, hang on. I, people negative about my juice retreat? Never in a million. I don't know what <laughs> on earth you are talking about. No, but I mean, there'd be jealous people and people that would say, oh, it's a load, it doesn't work. No, there are. Do you know what? It's funny though, because I actually, literally yesterday, I came off of Twitter. Came off. I just closed my account. And, I, I, wow. and, and it's the first time I've done that. And it's because I thought, what purpose is this negativity serving me? I just thought virtually everything I read on Twitter was so angry. So unlike Instagram, which is very upbeat, very lovely, or oh, the vast majority. Yeah. And that's where you've come in. I mean, did you hone those skills? Because you were recovering from, I mean, last year, you had a year and a half, to say the least, in 2019. Now you thought that was a bad year. And then 2020 read its ugly head. Oh, we locked it. <laughs> but, you know, nobody saw this coming. But well, we- I planned, you know, I planned for lockdown. And- <laughs> Of you know, course you I, did. I, you know, I was in, I was obviously for people listening, you know, I had an ACL reconstruction, so it was quite a big deal. But how did you struggle with it? Because fitness is huge. You've always been involved. I mean, not only were you an ex semi-pro footballer, I'm going to get on to the fact that you part own a club now as well. I mean, football's in your passion. I mean, you do soccer aid and everything else. Plus, of course, you do a lot of workout, you know, physical fitness is really important to you. And so how did you find that? I mean, you couldn't move presumably for a length of time. I mean, how long was it? I mean, the injury, I had the injury for years. I had the injury for 10 years. My left knee had no ACL and it started to deteriorate, which meant that my left leg was slowly bending inwards. So I would have had a limp for the rest of my life if I didn't get it sorted. And 
I had an amazing doctor in London that I saw who gave me some real stern advice and said, look, you know, you need to change your life and you need to change this now because it's going to get worse. Basically, he said to me after seeing my x-ray and, you know, you've met me, Jason, and I walked in and I was full of banter. I was having a laugh with him and chatting away about a few things. And he said, look, you know, we need to look at your x-ray. And it was the first time that he'd seen it. And he looked at me and he said, I know it's all been fun and games, you know, talking to you, Ollie, and it's a pleasure to meet you, but I'm a 50-year-old man and looking at your knee now, you've got a 50-year-old knee and you're only 35. And I was like... Can I just say I'm 50? There's nothing wrong with a 50-year-old knee, right? <laughs> can I just... Can I, I just want to point out... I just want to point out that you said that like it's the worst thing you could possibly have is a 50-year-old knee. Well, I've got it's two not. of them. I've got... No, thanks, Els. I've got two of those things. No, no, no. It's not. <laughs> I'm joking. I know what you mean. I am joking. Said, I know you are, but it's very funny. But he said he... he he basically said to me, by the way, I've seen, you, I've seen you running, you're all over the place, Jesus. Um, but and just no one says it, says it to you, Jason, because we all love you so much. Yeah, um, yeah. But no, I basically, I from that moment on, I just went, well, I need to make a change. So I did. And it was tough at first, but mentally, I never for one second, I mean, my manager, Sarah, after a few months of doing this, she just said, like, you're coping with this so well, like, you don't even, you know, you're not having your bad days and you, you know you seem really positive. And it's, it's because I knew that I had to keep that frame of mind. I had to stay positive, knowing that if I for one second felt like, oh, this could end my music career because I can't dance or sing on stage, you know. Like, I, I was, was going to say, why is it the end of your music career? No, I thought no, all of a sudden you were singing sing. through your knee, but I know what you mean. No, I can still sing, but for anyone that's come and seen me in concert would know that I'm an entertainer, I'm a yeah, performer. Exactly. And so for someone like me that can't move around the stage would, would ruin my performance. It wouldn't be the same me. So I just never for one second felt like if I let that cloud over me and I think about that too much, then I'm going to get myself into a bad place here. So I needed to stay positive. And I've always had that sort of mindset. And I did. I got through. I worked my rehab hard. My physio was with me most days. You know, I'm, I know that I'm in a very privileged position to be able to do that. I know that when I originally went to get my ACL done in 2007, I couldn't have that sort of rehab. And I didn't do the actual reconstruction then because 10 years ago, I couldn't afford to do that. I had to work. I understand I'm very lucky. So for them, six months, I worked really hard knowing that I'm very lucky to be able to do this and I want to get back doing what I love. I did. I worked extremely hard. But I'll be honest with you, lockdown has been so much harder. Um, is that because, I was going to come on to that, is that because in January, so for example, you've just done all that rehab, you worked really hard to do all that. And then January, of course, at that point, you'd already started this this again, transformation, you've already been fit, healthy, slim, that kind of thing. But of course, during, if you can't move and everything else, you rely on exercise. Then of course, I know that you said you'd put on an extra coat that you, that you didn't, that you didn't, that you, that you didn't know existed and you want to get the coat off and you did it kind of rapid. I mean, you were there in January. And like you said, cause people say, Oh, he did the all coming to Juicy Oasis. I went, no, he didn't. I mean, you had to put everybody right. I said, no, he didn't. I think you dropped 10 pounds while you're at Juicy O, but actually you'd already started the journey before yeah, then, I, I and you mean, continue the journey afterwards, and you don't live on. And it's the, the, the confusing part that people have. Oh, does that mean they just live on? Far from it. I mean, far from it. I mean, uh, Ollie's what I call a real eater. That's what I. That's what I explained to you. You, <laughs> you know what I mean? No, but what I mean by that oh, is, no, you're, is, you're, is you're real. And that's what I love about your Instagram. One minute you go, oh, I'm having a juice. Next thing you go, oh my god, I can't believe the muffins got me. You know, not quite that, but you know, and yeah. and people relate to that and they like that. So you're on this mission. You think, but and then lockdown hit. Is lockdown harder because you felt like it just put you back a bit? Why is lockdown no, harder, do you think? No, it was a bit of everything. It was 
you know, me very excited about a lot of things planned this year, as lots of people listening probably did. Holidays, I had Soccer Aid coming up, I had The Voice to finish, I had all these exciting things planned for work and what I was going to do next and my TV company. I just had loads of, from a a work perspective, I had loads of exciting things and I, you know, I had a new haircut. I I just felt like this is a new me. It was a new year. 2020 was like a new time for me. I did 10 years as the guy with the quiff from X Factor. (laughs) And I felt like, I felt like 2020 was, you know, a new me. I had an amazing new girlfriend and yeah, lockdown just kind of sidetracked it all and, and slowed it all down. And I found comfort by eating things that I loved and eating chocolate. And I was sort of struggling to find, not happiness, that sounds really deep, but, you know, I was just struggling to enjoy my days. I wasn't really excited about anything. You know, I was obviously hounding my girlfriend to do TikTok videos. She obviously, <laughs> she obviously works and, you know, I've got the same sort of brain and same energy as you, Jason. Like, yeah. I have to be doing something. And, you know, my manager, Sarah, knows me very well. And, you know, my friends do. And my tour manager, Mark, and, you know, all of them know me so well. And they know my family and that I have to be doing something. So, you know, at first I was doing Lego and I was, I just, yeah. I, I saw the Lego post. I saw the Lego post and they yeah. just made me smile a lot. I thought, but here's I somebody the- who doesn't mind just going, do you know what? Yeah. I'm a big kid. I don't care what you think. Exactly. But, on, but I'll be honest with you, on the surface, you know, it looks like I was having loads of fun in lockdown. I did loads of pranks with Amelia. It was all, you know, amazing. But I've had some really tough days and really low days and days where I just was thinking, like, what's my purpose? Like, what? And that's the key word there. And and the worry, sorry, the worry and the fear of not knowing. Like, my life, I've always felt like I was in control of what I was doing next and where I was going next and who I was seeing next. I feel like most people in in this lockdown have probably felt the same. It's that... Well, you suddenly realize, Ollie, it's a very good point you make. You suddenly realize you're not in charge of the board game. Life is a board game and you think you make the moves. And I'm very much of that ilk. I like you, like I think everybody really has struggled with that more than anything else. Variety is one of the six human needs that we require. We have to have variety. We have to have love and connection as well, but real connection. And not just with one person either. And that's not to down our partners or anything else. We need variety, even variety of connection. And I think the biggest challenge with lockdown in every area has been that. But what I think will come from this, and I don't know whether you feel the same, is that when we come out of this, that there's always going to be some take home. There's always going to be something good that comes of this. And whether it's gratitude, the fact that we've learned to slow down a little bit at least, you know, and appreciate some things. I don't know. Is there anything, any take homes that you're no, going to have from, from lockdown? Yeah, I, I, of course. I feel like I've connected so much more with, there's been quite a few actually. I feel like I've really connected and my bond with my family my friends is a lot stronger. I feel like I've made more time for them. And although, you know, I do make a lot of time for my friends and family when I can, obviously, but I just feel like I've spoke to them a lot more. I feel like I'm more connected with people and I feel like I want to socialize even more. I, yeah. I went for a picnic recently the other day because I'm allowed to go You're out. to go out now. now with, you know, and, and not feeling like I've got to look over my shoulder that it could be a pat there and I'm not allowed to be there. You know, I was, honestly, it really freaked me out. And yeah. But now that I'm allowed, I, me and my girlfriend went for a picnic and we were two metres away from one of her friends. It was her birthday and it was just amazing. It's the first picnic I've been on in years. And I yeah. just remember thinking, I want to do this more often. I want to see my friends without having to go to the pub or a club or on a holiday or 
or here. I feel like the simple things are the things that I'll miss the most after lockdown and I will try and keep doing. And yeah, and, and just, I think me and my girlfriend, it's been really amazing for us. Listen, Ollie, I tell you what, look, you have not only, not only have you survived lockdown, you survived lockdown with a new relationship where you haven't really been tested. It's I mean, amazing. I mean, this is a major feat and your, your pranks you played on each other and listen by the way anyone listening that has it just go back on ollie's instagram post listen you you've had a couple of major milestones as well happened during lockdown and so i want to know how these went first of all you had your birthday during lockdown i saw what amelia done i mean unbelievable i thought i you know when you you're just mentioned that oh, i think she's moved in make sure she doesn't move out if that's what she does oh. if that's the kind of person she is don't ever let her go so she's obviously a magic maker i mean it looked like you had a good birthday uh, even under the circumstances. You know what? It was amazing. And I'm very lucky considering it was lockdown. I mean, how she hid the presents from me and like, I don't know how she'd done it all, but you know, she just did a great birthday. And I woke up in the morning and because I'm really bad in the mornings, but she got me up in the morning. First off, she woke me up in the morning for a family Zoom chat. And by the way, when I mean I just woke up, like my eyes, I'm <laughs> just, all I remember is the blinds going up and she's like, Happy birthday! And as I looked on the iPad screen, all my family oh, had banners and balloons that oh, were suddenly no. happy birthday, which was a perfect start. And then I walked into the kitchen and she had all these presents that were sent from me from my family. And she did this amazing thing. She's so thoughtful, my girlfriend, and I'm very, and, I, and I hope it continues. <laughs> um, <laughs> And because uh, it's so amazing. You're hoping she's not lying during the audition. Is that what you think? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just to get the part. Just to get the part. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was very good. Um, no, I just hope that um, no, because she's so amazing. I know she. I know she will because she's just such a full person. But yeah, no, it was amazing. It made, it made me feel really special. And then. I just had a great day. And it was, Which was know. good. I mean, it's not every day you turn 49. You're looking good. So it's, <laughs> no, it's good. No, you're looking, you're looking. Because what you didn't want last year. Yes, for, Jason, I told you that in confidence, all right? <laughs> you should tell people You that. look great. Must be all the juice you're drinking. There you go. I got it in. Now, just take you back a little bit. We're not going to go on too much longer, obviously. I, I don't want to take up too much of your time, Ollie. I mean, I could do about 20 podcasts with you, to be honest with you. I mean, I've looked through some of the background info. And what normally happens is that it gets sent to me like literally 15 minutes before because I like people to learn while I'm learning at the same time. And I didn't know, I didn't know you'd been knocked back from X Factor twice before you actually went on to, I would say, win the series. And we'll get onto that in a minute because ultimately you were the winner. I know Joe McKeldry won it, but you know, you ultimately won. At the time it wouldn't have felt like it, but your audition was incredible, very superstitious. So I want to get onto that because I remember walking with you and we talked about this and I had no idea. First of all, I didn't know you'd been knocked back twice, but I mean, yeah. that's tenacity. What made you, in fact, for people listening, especially young people going, well, I've been knocked back. And in today's world, if you get knocked back once, most people just give up. So what was it inside you that went, well, I'm, I'm going to go again? I mean, and what stages were you knocked out twice before from the show? Um, I just wasn't happy with how I represented myself in the auditions that I had previous. I just wasn't going to accept a no. I don't know what it was, Jason. I can't put my finger on it, but I just wasn't going to accept some snotty <laughs> gentleman in a room with his iPads look down at me and just go, no, sorry, not this year. And I just thought, no, what? I'm going to get in front of Simon Cowell. I'm going to do it. I don't care. Because that's the hard you know, part, isn't it? It's the hard part yeah, is to get in front of the judges. No, people don't know, like, you know, it's, it's, there's, you know, lots of stages before you get to see the coaches, you know, but I was like, you know what? If someone's going to tell me that I'm useless and I'm rubbish at singing and I'm wasting my time, it will be Simon Cowell. So 
I just had this vision and I just wanted to change my life. I felt like I had something to give to the entertainment industry. I felt there was an inner desire and an inner feeling that just made me think, this is it. I've got something. I know that there's something about me that people will like, or there's a job here for me. I don't know what it is. And there, you know, I went twice, I failed and I just kept going. I remember being in Australia, traveling for three months. I was uh, having the time of my life. I was in paradise in Australia. I was having the, the most amazing time traveling on my own. And I remember being on a balcony with a guy called Matty B. All these mates had a B on the end. It was very weird, but they were from North London. And Matty B was on the balcony, was having a few glasses. And he turns around to me and says, you should stay in Australia. I said, what do you mean? He goes, why are you going home? You don't need to. We can get you sponsored. We'll get you a visa. You could spend another 12 months here. We can have the best time. Because we, we was having the best time. We can stay here. You know, you could probably get in two or three years of residency here. And he was sort of selling me this amazing dream. And I let him speak for like 10 minutes. And I said, Matty, I'm not going to stay here. He was like, but why? And I said, no joke. I went, I'm going to go back and do X Factor. And he looked at me with the weirdest face and the shock. And he just burst into laugh. He just couldn't stop laughing, Jason. He laughed in my face to the point that he went, Gavin, come out here. Johnny, Johnny B, come out here. He grabbed about three of the housemates that lived with him that are all from London. He went, you've got to listen to this. Like Ollie, Ollie basically won't stay in Australia, live the dream, travel this amazing country, change his life because he thinks he's going to go on X Factor and have a music career. And they were all laughing at me. It was something out of a film. And I remember looking at him going, wow. I mean... Yeah, but I, I already know, I, knowing what I know about you already, oh, that would have just driven you. And he turned around to me and he went, okay then, sing for us. <laughs> I went, I'll, stop being a, I'll stop being an idiot. I'm not going to sing for you. He goes, no, no, go on. If you really think you're going to win X Factor, sing for us now. And I said, I'm not going to sing for you now. I said, just wait and see. And you know what? That spurred me on. But I want to hear about your audition song because I remember you telling me the story. Oh, yeah. That, no. that is brilliant. So you, you, what was the original song that you were going to sing? So I, yeah, so I sat at the O2. I got there late and I remember thinking, why have I done this? I've been here twice before. I should have known that there was going to be a queue overnight or there'd be hundreds of thousands of people here because they basically said at the O2, it's first come, first serve. Right. So I turned up at nine o'clock thinking that was a good time. Well, when I got there, it was, <laughs> it was rammed. I've always been a, a great blagger and a salesman. I managed to squeeze my way to the front. I was Brilliant. in the last row of the O2. And I sat there all day and I was singing uh, Paolo Nettini, New Shoes. It was one of my favorite songs at the time. I got some new shoes on suddenly. Yeah, it was, it was a great song. I love nice. the vibe. It was very much me. And I went down. I, and I was in a band at the time and the, the guy, Dave, um, who was the MD of the band, a, a musical director, he said... Was that the small town blaggers? No, this was no. the F2K. They did all loads of functions and stuff and they okay. had me as like a backing singer to the main girl. And they said to me, can you learn Superstition to help her out in case, you know, during the show she needs you and stuff. I said, yeah, yeah, cool. So I, re I was learning it at the time. So then all of a sudden... I'm walking down the O2 and there was these 20 booths. There's all these different queues of people in different lines. And you just get some random industry person. It could be anyone that works in the music industry or works on TV. So I stand in front of this guy and he says, hi, what's your name? And he looked at me like, what's your name? I went, it's Ollie. Ollie who? Ollie Mers. Where are you from? Essex. Right. What are you going to sing? And I said, right, I'm going to sing Paolo Nettini, New Shoes. I'm going to tell you exactly what he said. I'm not going to pull any aid. He went, for fuck's sake, 
<laughs> he wheezes. He, he goes, if I hear fucking Kings of Leon, Sex on Fire, if I hear Palatine New Shoes or Bridge Over Fucking Troubled Water again, he said, I'm going to lose my mind. I've been here all day. That's all I bloody heard. He said, can you sing anything else, please? Have you got anything else to sing? And I mean, for that 30 seconds, Jason, and I'm sure there's people listening that have been in a position like that at work or someone's put you on the spot and you've got to think of something. That 30 seconds felt like an hour. Yeah. And I had to think. And the only song, this is too, this is, sums up my personality and who I am. The only two songs I could think of at the time was Mysterious Girl, Peter Andre. <laughs> And, and um, you know, um, Sex on the Beach, I Wanna Have yes, Sex. Yes, yes. For some reason, they're the only songs that came <laughs> in my mind. And I'm thinking, fuck, what am I going to do? And then I just, for one moment, the light bulb went bing. Wow. And then I sung Superstition. And then that was it. I sung it in front of him. And, I mean, it was like this now. I just went, you know. Go on, give us a few bars. Come very on. Very superstitious. The writing's on the wall. And I just started singing it. Wow. And then the guy looked at me and he went, you're through. And I was like, oh my God. And then that was it. After every round of auditions, I just sung Superstition. And then all I remember is the next minute I'm backstage at the XL Centre in London. I can hear Simon Cowell wow. in the background echoing, going, no, it's a no. It's a no. And the crowd are booming. Boo. And all I can hear is him in the background and echoing his loud voice. No, it's a no. Sorry, not this year. You're rubbish. You sound like a cat. You know, it was just like, I've seen babies sing better than you. You know, like, so like I'm sat there going, God, this is really not going well. And then I just composed myself, sat there and said, you know what? If this is meant to be, it's meant to be. If this is what I'm supposed to do for the rest of my life, I need to step up now. If I want to prove to people that I can sing and dance and be the person that I believe I can be, this is my moment. And I just walked out there and you can watch the audition. You know, well, I think everybody should. Anybody who's listening, if you're from overseas and I don't know, you've been under Rocky, haven't heard of Ollie Merce for whatever reason, go to YouTube. <laughs> and No, but honestly, go to YouTube and just put in the X Factor audition because it is one of the single most watched auditions in X Factor history. And for good reason. I watched it again last night, oddly, because I knew that, Obviously, we were recording and I watched it while you were at the retreat as well. And every time I see it, it just, it, you can never get bored of it. And one of the times, there's a couple of little smirks that you do, but there's one in particular where Simon just smirks. He just suddenly realizes that actually what he's got in front of him isn't just another audition. And you can it's see bad, his, his face change. And I yeah. saw your face change. And I think you knew at the time you nailed it, didn't you? You must have known. Well, no, I mean, even talking about it now, like it gets me not emotional, but... I just get like goosebumps and I think back to that moment and you're right. Like, you know, when Simon said to me, listen, everyone, it doesn't matter who you are, you know, Jason, if you was auditioning for a show and, and you, you don't really care what the other judges no, say. No, it's it's not, true, that's yeah. not horribly because, no, but you, don't. I, you know, don't get me wrong. I love Louie. I love Danny and Cheryl. So like I'm sat in front of these amazing people and I just wanted to know what Simon thought of me. And when Simon said, this is the easiest yes I've yeah. ever given. And you're talking about this guy at the time was, well, he still is the biggest judge in the world. He's on the biggest show um, on American Idol. He's seen some of the biggest stars and he's telling me that I am the easiest yes he's ever given. That was like, whoa, like, I couldn't even, 
especially, especially when you've been knocked back twice before. And that's the tenacity that I was talking about. You know, the young people today, instant gratification world. You've had a few sliding door moments. One was in Australia. And there's two kinds of people, I think, Ali. The kind of people that actually, when somebody's negative to them and say, you can't do something, all it does is drive them to make sure, so I'm going to show you. You're yeah, clearly no, that person. Yeah. And, and, other pe- and other people aren't like that, but you and clearly I- are. Yeah, no, and I'll be honest with you, and this is not a dig at my family. I love my family to bits. They've always been so supportive in everything that I've done. And, you know, they were always very realistic with me and they were managing my goals and expectations, you know. And by what I'm about to say, it's not saying that my parents were bad parents or my family was not very nice. They just didn't support me in my music journey and my dream. And that wasn't because they didn't believe in me. They just... Felt but that they knew that they knew the odds, Ollie. In fairness, yeah. they, they knew no, the odds, no, no, didn't exactly. they? They knew the they odds. Knew the odds. And, and whenever I had this conversation, and I always have to sort of make sure that people are aware like the odds of being a pop star or a singer are like a, oh. a million or like three trillion to one or something. Like, there's so yeah. many people that want to be that person. So, when I sort of said to my parents, like, I'm 25, I'm going to go part time, I'm going to work at a call center um, and just <laughs> earn peanuts, and I'm just going to try and be an entertainer and performer and sell records and be a multi platinum, triple platinum selling artist. Yeah. They, at the time, they were like, you're fucking mad. <laughs> like, what did we create here? And then, you know, that was sort of, again, my driving force to sort of prove to my family. And I remember when it did happen, you know, dad did this amazing interview on X Factor or oh, my, on my actual documentary show. And he basically turned around and said, what do we know? You know, Ollie, yeah. Ollie told us he wanted to be an international superstar and sell records and be a number one platinum artist. And we sort of laughed at him. But what do we know? And for anyone listening to this, it's like, I always say, it doesn't matter if my parents were driving me to auditions or they weren't driving me to auditions. It all comes from you. You have to have that inner desire and ambition it, you know, your parents can't give you, they can only take me to the ocean. I've got to swim, you yeah. know. And, and they're also, and there's also, it's never going to be the case because generational differences come into play. When I was growing yeah. up, obviously the parents at the time, my mom was a job for life. It's like the very second I said, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to actually stop a job in order to pursue something else. She went, you're going to stop. A j-. I mean, the freak out that happened. And my mom was the single most supportive human and best friend. That I- you told me the story of your mother. And, and she really is. But the point is, is that even from that generation, when I said I was going to write a book, I mean, bear in mind, I was, you know, heavily dyslexic. I couldn't even read books, let alone write them. And when I said I was going to write a book, she just, I mean, for the first time ever, she was like, oh, that's nice. You know, like she'd support anything, but she looked at me like I've just grown 20 heads. Yeah. But you know, Napoleon Hill in 1953 said, whatever the mind can believe and conceive, it can achieve. And you, you embody that. In, in- no, I, and that is so true. But you know, I just want to reiterate, like you said earlier, my parents were just managing my expectations and that's not, you know, they weren't, you know, well, they, they just want the, listen, they just want the best for you. Oh. Sorry, sorry, I just want to say I've always been very realistic and my team used to always um and I think that's probably why I'm I'm still down to earth because they still manage my expectations now. You know, my mum and dad will say, Well, yeah, you might be a triple platinum selling artist, but you don't come into my house and leave your shoes or walk in here, <laughs> walk into walk into our house with you know and, and walk through the house on our carpet with your shoes on. Go and take them off. My mum and dad, even if I do something successful, they'll say yeah, it's great. You've got another one on it. Like, we're really proud of you, but, you know, go and get the next one. And then sort of now they've kind of installed this other side of it where it's kind of like they keep that drive in me 
not to rest on my morals. So, it, but, but also, do you find people just get used to your success, Ollie, as well? And that's part of the challenge as well, is that we all want positive feedback. We all need it. We all thrive from it. We all want somebody going, oh my God, that's an incredible feat you just did. But of course, the people you're around the most are the ones that kind of take your success well, I mean, for granted. I mean, like, yeah, you know. Of course, but I think they're just like, overwhelmed i don't think they I mean i never expected how did they react when please don't let me go went straight to number one and you beat katie perry teenage dream i mean it wasn't just one of her dodgy no, i just remember i mean you beat katie <laughs> perry no, no, no. I, need to, I need to tell this story i need to tell this story because it's so funny i just remember sat epic records doing this interview of heat magazine <laughs> it's meeting and I'm talking to Heat magazine and I thought there's no chance I'm getting number one and the woman says to me what will you do if you get number one and you beat Katy Perry I said well I'll do a naked photo shoot for your magazine right and I remember walking out of that meeting and Sarah my manager was like how'd it go and I was like oh, it went amazing and then the woman was like yeah it was a fantastic chat and Ollie has said if he gets number one he's doing a naked photo shoot for us and my manager looked to me Sarah was like what have you done but then I sort of looked at her and I thought, shit, like... Did you do Sarah it? Really, Sarah, really, Sarah actually really believes we're going to do this. Yeah. And then it was kind of like, shit, maybe this might actually come true. And I, honest to God, when I said what I said, I honestly didn't believe. No, was, well, you wouldn't say it, would you? I, I, thought, I thought that it might get some headlines and, and you know... You know, we say things as artists that we know that it might get a bit of traction for the single sure. coming out. You know, it might do something, but I never expected to actually get number one. So Sarah basically messaged me saying, congratulations, I hope you've been doing your press-ups because you've got to get naked this week. i never forget that message. And I remember thinking, I've just got number one. I'm so excited. And I'm thinking, oh, shit, yeah. I've got to get naked this week. And, yeah, um, what, what have you done? I remember Gary Lineker, the same thing, when he said that if Leicester win the premiership, then he's going to do it. And he it. did. And yeah. he had to do it. And so presumably you did it, right? Yeah, I did it. I mean, you can see it on the internet. It's, it's, okay, well, I, well, well I, I just remember th- the Thanks, Charles. I mean, you know, it's not going to be the first thing I click on. It's not going to be. If you Google Ollie Murs naked, <laughs> I mean, that'd be just <laughs> I will. Do, listen. And the fact that Kate finds your Google search. Oh, that would be hilarious. Worry, yeah, she's that. already a little bit worried about me and you anyway. But anyway... <laughs> We need to do a part two of this at some point, but the albums that you've released, you have six albums since then, in case you don't know. I'm not saying to people listening, in case you don't know, that was the name of the album, which was in case you don't know. Right Place, Right Time. I'm not saying that you're in the right place, right time listening to this podcast now. That is actually another name of an album. Never Been Better. That's the triple platinum. 24 hours. How long roughly does it take to listen to that one, Oz? <laughs> no, we should have done We should have done a 24 hours album, to be fair. We, we, we should, we should. Yeah, you should have, yeah. I know, I know. Who comes up with the title of, of the... Uh, of uh, the... Well, I know all, the, all of these titles, apart from the first album, are actually tracks on the album. So these are songs that I'd written and songs that I was proud of or songs that sort of represented how I was at the time. But I just want to say for anyone listening that's bought an album or listened to my songs at any point, whether you've liked them or hated them or, you know, whether you just danced to it once and you've never listened to it ever again, thank you. Like, honestly, my life has changed so much. But, you know, just if my music has helped you in any way or it's got you through a bad period or it makes you happy, like, 
that makes me it just it's changed my life being a, a singer and an artist and and i'm very very grateful i want to i want to do a part two uh, this at some point right maybe yes. maybe in the future because i mean there's so much stuff i mean the massive walk you did for comic relief the fact that you are captain in live aid the fact that you're semi-professional football the fact and there's I, I, and there's list the fact that you did you know film debut spies in disguise you 100 i mean there's tons the voice what made you join the voice i mean that's for another time obviously and all this stuff there's so much that i thought we were going to get through but then at the same time i thought just one part of your life you can talk for so long just about that particular part so i want to finish with this lightheartedness that I want to finish on. So I didn't know that you'd appeared on Deal or No Deal. Yeah. I know this, right? <laughs> now, so in 2007, for those that don't know, and if you don't know the game, it was where there was several boxes and it was a pointless game. Now, there, <laughs> yeah, there, but, uh, there's no skill involved. There was no skill involved, but people thought that their spirit somehow led them to a particular number, which was always hilarious because Noel Edmonds equally felt the same thing. But of course, when it had no money in, then obviously their spirit wasn't working, had nothing to do with the number. Anyway, they appeared in the game, Deal or No Deal. Uh, in a bid to earn some quick cash in 2007. And I believe you walked away with the massive sum. By the way, you can win 250 grand on this show, just to put it in perspective. And that's way back in 2007. At the time, I think you could have done with the money, Oz. How much did you walk away with? Uh, 10 pounds. <laughs> Let me ask you another question. Because I went down to the Deal or No Deal studios once. Don't even ask why. A friend of mine was a fan and we ended up sitting in the audience. I mean, that was a bad day. I'm never going to get back. Anyway, £10. How much did it cost you for food and drink the night before or did well, travel think, to get down? Well, I'll be honest with you. First, that was the funniest thing about it was that actually that I never checked in the tenner because I wanted to keep the check to always have it. <laughs> the namesake. And what made me laugh the most is about a year of five months, four months. Because there was all these rumours that if for anyone that didn't do well on the show, they'd invite you back and you could okay. read the show again and they'd give you another chance. And I don't know why that was. I think it was just a myth that all us contestants that basically did really badly, we always felt that Noel Edmonds might ring us up. So I remember about four months after it, it aired and obviously I won a tenner and I had to check, I had a phone call. I remember being upstairs at my house and mum goes, Ollie. I was like, yes, because the phone's gone. It's Deborah from Deal or No Deal. And I've rushed downstairs. I've put the phone to my chest. I've gone, oh my God. And mum's like, my mum's looking at me like, they're going to invite you back. I'm like, yes. I was like, hello. And she's like, oh, hi, Ollie. It's Deborah here from Deal or No Deal. How are you? Are you all right? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Listen, just a quick, um, I work on the account side of things. <laughs> We've noticed that you haven't checked in your £10. You haven't done your check. You haven't checked it in. If you don't check that in, or if you don't, was it cash? You, sorry, you cash, cash the in. check. Yeah, if you don't cash the check. If you don't cash that check in the next three weeks, the check will be void. If you could just let us know what you plan to do, we just want to let you know. I just said to on the phone, I said, listen, you can cancel the check. I'm never checking it in. So I never actually checked it in. Yeah, but and- do you know what? You do a hell of a lot for charity. However, when you returned to Deal or No Deal later on in your bid to do something for charity, once you got celebrity status <laughs> and people knew who you were, you went back on the show. Now, this is even funnier. Now, I've... So by the way, you know, I just say, this is an interesting fact. I'm the only person in the history of Deal or No Deal to go on the show twice because I went on really? the normal show and I also went on the celebrity version. So I'm the only person in the history of the show to have done it twice. Yeah, now normally that's a big up. Your first time was £10. Your second time oh. that you that you were playing for charity, how much did you, uh, and what, uh, how much I did you raise for you? 50p, 50p. You won 50 pence for your and charity. so bad. So after we finished the show, we were like, oh my God, this is awful. Like I've come here for a charity you know, we, we was hoping to, you know, to at least get, you know, 10, 15, 20,000, something like that. 
you know, and that would be so amazing. So in the end, you know, I think I donated 10 grand or stuff like that back because I I feel so awful. So I ended up giving the charity my own money and I I just said to him, I feel so bad. So I ended up donating it myself because... I just felt so awful. But do you know what I would have done? That's a brilliant thing to do. Not everybody would have done that. It's the kind of thing that George Michael used to do. He was a real magic maker as well. I used to watch the show, George Michael, and he would see somebody hasn't won and he would just literally, and people only wow. found out about what that. he did. Afterwards, after he passed away, people realized just actually what a philanthropist he was. Um, however, going to finish on this. I've got two boxes. Genuinely, I'm not making this up. You can't see. I know it's a podcast. I've got two boxes in front of me. But the deal or no deal, right? One right. has 50 pence in it. Right? Right. For, for old school times. The other one has another invitation to a Juicy Oasis or Juicy Escape of your choice when that opens at some point for another session. So one's got number seven on it. The other one's got number 10 on it. Which box would you like to pick to open? Well, I'm going to open number seven because I'm a big Manchester United fan. That is a number that I love very much. Cristiano Ronaldo, David Beckham, uh, where all that... Stuart, Stuart Pearson. Don't forget Stuart Pearson back in 1977-78. I'm a huge Man United fan. So George Best, you know, some of the greatest players have worn that. Derek Cantona. So I'm going to go with seven. Well, let me... Oh, please tell me my run on deal no deal has has come to an end. Ollie. Yes? You chose number seven. Yeah. One box had 50p, the other one had a trip to the retreat. I'm pleased to say he's only got a trip to the retreat, everybody. Yeah. Come on, the ending of Deal or No Deal. Is yeah. And I actually knew you were going to choose number seven because you're a Man United fan and I'm a Man United fan. I used to wear number seven shirt when I played football. And if you're a Man United fan, number seven shirt just resonates. So I, so I kind of guessed that you would pick it. Oli Mers, I can't thank you enough for being on. I know we've only touched on several things. I really appreciate your time. You are unbelievably busy. Even on lockdown, people try and get your time. And that's why I thought I'd be a pest like everybody else and say, Ollie, quick. So triple platinum album artist, amongst other things, and model, let's not forget. <laughs> Ollie Merz, thank you very much for being on the podcast, everybody. Yeah, Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Woo!